0: what's up everybody welcome to the combo church podcast my name is craig and my name is kara and we are the lead pastors of combo church if you are listening on ComboChurch.com, itunes or spotify make sure you subscribe follow and like we love it when you share with your family and friends and we would love it if you would leave us a great review our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose encourage life and build faith in you enjoy Enjoy the the message Uh, we're going to, I want to share a couple of thoughts tonight to kind of get our hearts and hopefully get our minds wrapped around uh, the, the gravity, if you will, of what today actually means. And, and I, I remember like having different times in my own life, just, you know, you kind of come into a Good Friday, and you're like, yeah, Good Friday, it's good. You know, it's like, well, you know, that's because we, we know what happened. But we also have to wrestle with the tension of realizing in real time as God's plan was unfolding there were people that did not know what was unfolding. We get to have the hope, but there were people who had hope who thought that their hope was actually being lost. And so if you, if you have a Bible, I got a couple of scriptures. It may not be a traditional Good Friday scripture, but I think it paints a picture of what the Lord would like to speak to us tonight. So if you do have a Bible, let's go to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John, John the Beloved. Verse 15, I'm sorry, chapter 15 Uh, Verses 9 through 17. And tonight, uh, you know, typically we talk about walking in resurrection power. Well, I also want you to realize there's also crucifixion power. And tonight we're going to talk about the power that we get to walk in as a result of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 9, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And these are red letters, right? So red letters mean what? Jesus is speaking. And, and all scripture is inspired by the word of God. It all gets our attention, but when I see red letters, I'm like, okay, I want to make sure I'm understanding and listening to what Jesus is saying. And he says, "I have, starting at verse nine, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Interesting to know, with with God, Love and relationship is established through obedience not through feelings. Feelings can follow eventually, but it actually comes first through obedience. Jesus said, "I have told you these things so that you will ha- so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment: love each other in the same way that I have loved you." And now he goes on to kind of explain even though they didn't understand what type of love he was going to be given. He says, there is no greater love, somebody say, no greater love, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Doesn't that kind of sound silly? Do you ever tell that to one of your friends? You're my friend. You're my friend as long as you do everything I tell you to do. You're like, all right, this is going to be an interesting friendship. But Jesus was painting a very specific picture here. Uh, it's it's a, a, obedience that unlocks friendship with God. He says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves, and now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. What a powerful scripture just right there. Jesus chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Some people like to use that scripture sometimes and do some crazy stuff. That's why it's important to know it in the context. He says, this is my command, love each other. So tonight, as, as we're gathering here on this, uh, on this Good Friday evening, uh, we're, we're not gathering simply to observe the crucifixion of Christ, but if you will, let's, let's step into the pain and the weight of the moment. Let's allow ourselves to go there. The crucifixion of Christ is, is the single greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever, or will ever know. It's not just some historical cinematic story where we just kind of sit back with the popcorn and watch it all unfold. And uh, you know, in in, in I am I'm, I'm a fan of the Passion of the Christ, and and uh, because it gives you it gives you a glimpse. I don't even think it gives you the full picture. It gives you a glimpse of what Jesus endured. But sometimes in our in our entertainment. You know, industry, world, life that we're so used to, uh, sometimes we can allow the imagery of the story to lose its power, especially in the context of what we're talking about today. But we have to understand that, like, what happened to Jesus wasn't just the result of evil people and events unfolding that transpired against a good person. It wasn't just like, wow, we didn't see this coming. I can't, what, what is this, ha- what's happening? I, I can't believe this is going to happen. Jesus, you got to do something about this. Now, the people who were with Jesus in those moments, that's what they thought. Because why in the world, if you were walking with Jesus and he would have tell you what this plan was, you would have been, invited. hey, I have some advice for you, Jesus. I think there's a different way that you could do this, right? And, and so, but Jesus knew all along. And I'll tell you why he knew all along, because he was a part of formulating the plan. You got to understand what happened to Jesus wasn't just the result of, of details unfolding in a story. What happened to Jesus was the plan that he and the Father and the Spirit together before sin even entered the world said, "Hey, there's going to be a problem. We know it's going to happen, and this is going to be the plan." You know, as you go through the gospels, you see Jesus saying some really really clear detailed stuff before any of this happens. He's talking about taking up the cross. He's talking about how if you tear down this temple, I will build it back up in three days. Like he's saying, all, how does he know that? Well, it's because he's Jesus. He knows everything. Well, no, well, yeah, but it's also because he's the one that made the plan. It tells us in, in Revelation 13, 8, and I love him when you get to use Revelation scripture. Come on. It says, and all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb, the lamb being Jesus, who was slaughtered before the world was made. Now, we all know that that's not saying that before the world was made, Jesus was slaughtered. It's saying that before the world was made, there was already a plan in place for Jesus to do what he would eventually do. There is no more powerful and extreme tension in the world's history than the tension between the cross and the empty grave. You know, it's, you know, if you're in it, it's, it could seem like an eternity, for the disciples, for his followers, they're like, well, what do we do now? Other than hide and run for our lives, like everything that we thought was going to happen, it's all falling apart, but they didn't, they didn't realize what was going on. And here's the thing, it's not just the tension between death and life, it's the tension between the eternal plan of an almighty God being unfolded before all humanity. And it was a plan not just to demonstrate the greatness of God, which it most definitely did, but it was a plan to bring those who were in death into life when they didn't even deserve it. There's a massive tension here. So when we view the crucifixion of Christ, we have to equally put ourselves in the tension of that moment, and we have to view it through the tragic lens of those who watched it in real time, thinking that all hope was lost, while at the exact same time, we also have to look at it through the lens of realizing that we know what happens next. We can't just go through, like, yeah, he went to the cross, and he was Jesus, so he probably was able to kill all of his pain receptors and really endure everything. It was no big deal. He, you know, it was kind of brutal. It's bad. You know, Mel Gibson kind of captured it. But, but hey, he, he rises from the dead, so everything works out great. No, we can't look past the tension of Friday just to get to resurrection on Sunday. Is that not the tendency of, of modern-day Christianity? We want to look past the suffering. We want to look past the pain. We want to look past the price that was paid so that we can get to the freedom, right? We all, we all want the freedom, but we don't want to hang out in the tension of what it cost for us to actually have that freedom. So while the events of, of Good Friday are somber, and I believe they should be, I don't think we need to ignore the somber nature of what today is and what it represents. It's also the demonstration of, of God's love that is completely immeasurable. Crucified Jesus shows us what real love is. First, real love is obedience to the Father. Like before anything else, right? Before anything else that we would think, well, love is this, love is that, love is how we treat people. You know. No, before anything, Jesus is demonstrating a pattern, not just for his, his journey to death and then resurrection and glory, but he's demonstrating a pattern for us to follow as well. For us to truly love God and to love people and to love the world around us, we can't manufacture that. We don't have what it takes. Maybe you do. I don't. On my best day, I don't have what it takes to manufacture love that people need that will point them to God. Why? Because I'm a fallen creature, right? You are too. Don't look at me like that. First is obedience to the Father. Second, it's sacrificial. Sometimes we get this in reverse. We're all about to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. You know, it's interesting, just a couple of days before this, Jesus triumphantly goes into the temple. And, we, you know, we love that part because we get, we get, like, hardcore Jesus, right? You know, some people think Jesus is just this, like, you know, easy, non-conflict, just peaceful, whispers all the time, never talks loud. And then all of a sudden he comes up in the temple and he's, like, creating whips and he's knocking over tables and, you know what's interesting about that? I think we misconstrue this sometimes. We think, well, it's because they were all the money and the, and the changing and, the, and the, the business that was taking place. And that wasn't why Jesus was upset. They needed all those things because they were still operating within an Old Testament system that needed transactions to take place to get animals. The reason why he was upset was because the focus had turned from worship to God to the transaction of the sacrifice. Because they had lost obedience and they were focused on the sacrifice. And Jesus couldn't handle it. He's like, don't you know that zeal for my house will consume me? We love that Jesus. He's like, boom, kicking tables, cracking whips on people, throwing money. You know, just, you, know you just try to envision the chaos. But let's, let's talk about this crucifixion power, okay? Uh, here, here's the first one. Crucif- uh, crucified Christ. It means that we walk in the power of God's mercy. Crucified Christ means we walk in the power of God's mercy. Mercy is God withholding what we actually deserve. I mean, think think about that. Like, just love the mercy of God. Well, just remember what the mercy of God is. The mercy of God is him choosing to withhold the judgment and the punishment for what you and I actually deserve. Because of sin, we will all stand condemned before God, but because this powerful act of obedience and sacrificial love, we can receive God's mercy through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me give you some good news. Your, your efforts to be a good person completely disrespect the holiness of God. Yay. <laughs> Such good news. But, but we have to, I think we got to wrap our, our minds and our hearts around this. Like this is a real thought. It's not like I accept Jesus and then I try to be a good person and then I work really hard and I'm trying to be a good person. It's so hard. No, that's, that's not how it works. Because here's the deal. Until we actually believe this truth that nothing that we can or have done will ever merit the mercy of God, until we wrap our lives around this, you'll never fully grasp the power of the cross. Stop comparing your goodness against someone else's badness. Or downplaying your sin because you don't think it's as bad as somebody else's sin. You don't think you're that bad. You're like, well, you know, pretty good guy. People tell me that. No, you're not. Neither am I. Even even though your mama told you nice things, no. But the reality is, is, is I really do believe the church today, we need a sober reminder of our condition and contribution that caused Jesus to have to create a plan that would lead to this in the first place. In the same way, those who, those who continue to reject the cross will also reject the mercy of God and will still stand to receive everything in the end that Jesus took for them on the cross. That's, that's terrifying. When you reject the cross, you reject what the cross did. When you reject Christ, you reject what Christ did for you. When you reject God, you reject all God desires to do for you through his love. But it's only in full surrender of putting our faith in Christ, in who he is, in who we are without him, and in what Christ did for us that we begin to walk in the fullness of God's mercy and his grace. Here's the second part. Crucified Christ means that we walk in the power that all can be saved. This is good news. This is good news. It's good news for you because if you're receiving this and you're putting your faith in Christ, then you're aligning yourself with the very work of Christ. If Christ died for all, then all can be saved. And to say that all cannot be saved is to reject the power of the crucified Christ. Will all be saved? No, Scripture tells us that that won't be the case. But is it it available? Absolutely. Let's go to Romans 3. You can write this down. It will be up on the screen. It says in uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 22, it says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Not by church attendance. Not by, you know, not honking too hard at that person that cut you off in traffic. Uh, not by voting a certain way. No, just by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And this, is the, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight and he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins people are made right are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood and this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back that's that fairness is speaking of justice God was just he was righteous he is fair He was fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. Man, God has got some serious grace. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Listen, because of what Christ took upon himself on that cross, we carry the hope for those around us in the exact same way. Like you were, if you are in that place where you have received the goodness of God, you now get to be a carrier of the goodness of God. You don't just get to be a holder of the goodness of God, you get to be a distributor of the goodness of God. That means that you get to carry the message that Jesus came for all. And you get to carry the message that Jesus died for all. And you get to carry the testimony that whoever would put their faith in Jesus Christ does not have to perish but will have everlasting life. Lastly, crucified Christ means that we walk in the power of a forgiven debt. We walk in the power of a forgiven debt. Anyone actually experience that in real life? Like just a forgiven debt. Maybe you owed some something to somebody and it was something that was it was a stress for you. But maybe they came up to you and said, Hey, you know what? I want to release you from that debt. Like, I've experienced that. And like that's a feeling, right? Like weight falls off of your shoulders. You know, joy comes up inside of you. You just want to hug whoever it is and just because you're so grateful. You didn't they didn't do it because you deserved it. They did it because it was an act of love, right? Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 6, it says, when, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. I love that. He wasn't late. He wasn't early. He never is. He's always right on time. And he died for us sinners. I love that language. Paul made sure he included himself in that, in that group. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That means that on your worst day, God's not on the cross. Jesus isn't on the cross thinking about you on your best day. He's not trying to justify, he's like, this is terrible. I know I made this plan, and I got to think about the world, so I might as well think about their best day. Maybe it'll make me feel better. No, he was looking at you on your worst day at the bottom of the barrel when you were so far from God that you couldn't even see it or know that it was even a possibility to know him, that was the version of you that Jesus says, I will die for that man, I will die for that woman. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. That's, what, that's that power of the crucifixion. It's like how powerful is it that it sets us free in death? Imagine what our life can be if we follow Christ in his life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God, I, w- I want to give you a thought that might challenge what you've been told your entire life. Life is not a gift. Life is a debt. Life is not a gift. Salvation is a gift. But life is not. Why? Because your life was purchased. Your life was purchased. Your freedom was purchased. And it wasn't purchased with money. It wasn't purchased with silver or gold. It was purchased once and for all with a life by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his broken body, by the beating that he took on his face, the crown of thorns on his head, the stripes on his back, beyond recognition. That was the price that God saw was valuable enough to purchase your life. Now what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with that debt that was paid? How are you gonna honor the value of the price that was paid for your life? How often do we go through our life, and even through seasons of, of, of you know, Passion Week and, and, and death and resurrection and, and even the birth of Christ and any other thing throughout the year, we get to Pentecost, right? And all, all of us uh, Holy Ghost people get super excited about Pentecost, right? but we look past the sacrifice that it cost, so that we could have the freedom to even know Christ so that we could be empowered with what we need, not just to live for Jesus, but to go out and be a bold witness for Jesus, to believe that his blood will actually do what he said his blood will do, to believe that his broken body will actually do what he said his broken body will do. By his stripes you are healed. I love the, the tense of that sentence. It doesn't say you might be. It doesn't say eventually you will. He says you are. It means that we get to walk in the manifestation of the healing power of God in our life, not because we're spiritual, not because we're good enough, not because of a denomination that we're a part of, but because of what Jesus did. Until we get real about ourselves and understand that we all are the reason that Jesus had to suffer, we will never appreciate the fullness of his sacrifice and the life that Jesus has called us into. It's not just your salvation that cost him. It was your life. We say this here a lot. It's it's not your Sunday. It's your Monday through your Saturday. it's It's when it puts a drain on you physically to serve Jesus. It's when it costs you something, whether that be relationship, whether it be time, whether it be culture conflict with the world around you, whether it be standing up to be a light that sticks out when you're working amongst a culture that is completely dark, whether it be your contributions in church or to other people or to those who might be in need, whether it's God saying, hey, I know you're comfortable where you are, but I'd like you to go to another nation. We have to appreciate the price that was paid for us and realize that we're not living in God's gift. We're living in in a debt that is owed to God. And I truly believe that if we embrace that perspective every single day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rock how you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. Because you wake up today saying, not, oh, God, help me. <laughs> but you wake up and you look in the mirror and say, God, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to make today count. I'm going to make today count, God, because of what you did for me. So let's finish up with this, like, obedience and sacrifice thing that we started off with. The love of Jesus on the cross was demonstrated, remember, first by obedience. For God so loved the world, right? Jesus loved the world. He loves the sinner. He loves those who are far from God. But he didn't just go to the cross because he loved people. He went to the cross because he was being obedient to the Father. We know that because it tells us that in Philippians chapter 2. It says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, here it is, he humbled himself in obedience to God, to the Father, and died a criminal's death on the cross. It wasn't just his overwhelming, heart-bleeding love for people that led him to the cross, it was his obedience to the Father. But it wasn't. It, those two are intrinsically connected because within the very heart of God is that desire to love those who were created in the image of God. So it started with obedience, but it was quickly coupled with sacrifice for people. God will always want obedience in your life before he'll want sacrifice. I mean, shoot, even when you look at the Old Testament, that was riddled with sacrifice, right? The entire law of Moses, there was a system in place that God created and designed so that we could understand that there would eventually need to be a sacrifice that was so great that it would do away with this limited system of forgiveness. But even in the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet Samuel. And he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. David quotes it again in the Psalms. He's talking about the exact same thing. So in a time that seemed to be all about sacrifice, even then, it was more about obedience than anything else. Crucified Christ was obedient before he was sacrificial. But both were responses of love. Both were responses of love. It's just so important, guys. Listen, when you walk out of those doors, if you are a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, yeah, we're going to be challenged every single day in the world around us to live out of that debt that we owe God for what he did for us. But the reality is, if we continue to obey God first, sacrifice will come a lot easier. Because when we don't know to obey God or we choose not to obey God, there's still something inside of us that for those that maybe are closest to us or that we love the most that we want to sacrifice for. But we'll end up sacrificing the wrong things. And when we sacrifice the wrong things, it also creates the wrong outcomes. So for us to follow the model of Jesus, how do we obey first? We obey the word. Because in obeying the word, we obey the Father. It tells us in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was the word. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Everything was created through him. Nothing was created except through him. He's talking about Jesus. He is the word, and we have the physical word. We have the anointed word of God, the infallible word of God. That is the word of God. That is Jesus. That is him speaking to us. That's him speaking through us. And if you don't know how to obey God, then we got to go to the word. Because if we don't go to the word and we try to obey God, we end up creating these broken religious systems that ultimately end up hurting people instead of helping. We think we're sacrificing, but we're not. We're actually creating systems that are going to hurt people. And Jesus didn't come to the world to hurt people. He came to set them free. And he started this crazy thing called the church. And he put people inside the church like you and me. And he says, all right, I've done it. I've showed you how to do it. I'm giving you my spirit so you can do it. Now go and do it. And, yeah, we've seen some things get messed up over time. But the reason why things got messed up is because we took our eyes off of obedience and we started to sacrifice things that were never meant to be sacrificed. Jesus is saying, come to me. Back to John 15, remain in my love. And when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. So here's where it all wraps up, everybody. These are the two, there's two commands. Like, man, I can't, I can't follow all the rules of the Bible. It's like, there's only two. <laughs> How hard could it be? No. Here's, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Did you know that every single law in the Old Testament, I'm not just talking Ten Commandments, every single law in the Old Testament and in the prophets is not done away with so that we can love God and love our neighbor as ourself. It's completely wrapped up in those two commandments. When you love God, you will love God the way that God says to love God. When you love your neighbor, you will actually love your neighbor the way that God says to love your neighbor because there believe it or not, in our world, there is a way to love people that's actually not what God's looking for our our english language is 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 way too simple. We say love and it means two hundred million things right and so and that's, just, that's our language. That's, the, that's the, the problems that we have with our English language. But in biblical original language, they had specific words for love. And when somebody said that word, they know it, they knew what it meant. And the most common word that gets used for the love that God's talking about is this agape or agape. It's a Greek word. It means, it means a selfless love. When it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son in John 3, 16, he wasn't just saying that he's like, yeah, 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 I love you. Yeah, love. You know, we're, we're good. No, it wasn't that kind of love. It was a love that says, if you never do anything to repay what I'm giving you, I'll do it anyway. That's the love of God. It's selfless. It's without a hook, without an agenda. It has a desire, but it doesn't have an agenda. Those are two very different things. So as we, as we walk out of here today or tonight, that's what preachers always do when you do a night service. You get all, you're like, today! You know, anyway, it's tonight. <laughs> I want to challenge you guys. Listen, walk in crucifixion power. And don't worry, Sunday's coming. But we can't, we can't truly walk in the power of the resurrection if we don't embrace the reality of what happened on that cross. Let me pray for you. Tonight, we're not, I'm not, not doing an altar call, not doing a salvation call. We're going to pray. And we're going to dismiss, you can hang out, we kind of do that here, talk to people, make some friends, make up for the 60-second convo we didn't do, because we do that on Sunday. But the reason why we're going to end this way tonight is because, again, I want us to leave here tonight feeling the tension of unfinished business. All the disciples, except for one, were running for their life. And all the other followers, you know, the ones that we know and the ones we don't know of, they, they, they... they they went to bed Friday night, wondering, is is this it? So I, when you leave tonight, I want you to carry this tension with you. And when you come to church on Sunday, well, side note, I encourage you to come early because if not, you'll be standing in the back or sitting on the floor up here on the front. But when you come to church on Sunday, you come with that expectation because you get to you get to know what happened. You don't have to wonder like like Mary and Martha, they ran to the tomb because they were just gonna try to prepare the body because Jesus was dead and was being, you know, he was buried or, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder when they went back and told Peter and, and, and John and the other disciples that Jesus, the body was missing, it wasn't there, that they actually saw him, he's alive and they didn't believe him so they ran to go check for themselves. You don't have to wonder. But tonight as we wrap up and as we go home tonight, I want you to, I want you to contemplate the price that was paid, the debt that we owe, the mercy that we get to walk in, and the power of crucified life. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving the world so much before we were even here. Knowing what would happen, knowing that when you put the free will in humanity that you knew that they would you knew that we would choose the wrong path and because of your love and your grace and your mercy, you put a plan together that ultimately Jesus would cost your life and we're so grateful we thank you so much for your for your love we thank you for your your forgiveness, and not even not your partial forgiveness, not 99% forgiveness, but God, 100% forgiveness. And we don't deserve 1% of it, Jesus, but you gave it all. And we thank you for that, and Father, we just thank you for the sacrifice that that you gave by giving your one and only son and creating such a simple and profound and powerful system in place so that anyone who would put their faith in your son would be forgiven, would find your mercy, would find your grace, and ultimately, God, we would find new life to be born again. Doesn't matter how we were born or what struggles we were born with, what sin we were born with. God, in you we're a brand new creation. We're born again, given brand new life. So Jesus, tonight as we, as we leave this place, we leave with a, a higher sense of gratitude and reflection for what you did on the cross. And even, maybe even more so, For what you were doing in that time in between when you were off the cross. Doing work. Doing work for me. Doing work for all people. Taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Of sickness and disease and sin. Taking the authority back that man gave up. And Father, we thank you for that tonight. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to combochurch.com and simply click the give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Convo Church. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.